The following pod contains spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Have you always wanted to enjoy those delicious Taiwanese pineapple cakes, but couldn't find a plant-based option to suit your dietary needs? I certainly have. It's literally the first thought that comes to my brain every morning. Well, I'm glad I found Annie's Tea Cakes. Annie's Tea Cakes is an Oakland-based food company on a mission to provide plant-based Chinese food options to the world. These vegan Taiwanese pineapple cakes can be available by placing an order through annieteacakes.com. A portion of all profits go towards organizations supporting local, sustainable agriculture. Again, go to annieteacakes.com. That's Annie, spelled A-N-N-I-E, right now to get your vegan pineapple cakes. What's up, my Real Asian listeners? If you want to support us, follow and subscribe to our podcast right now. And don't forget to review our show on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome, everyone, to The Real Asian Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Liu. And today, I'm joined by one of our newest members today, Baldwin. What's up, Baldwin? How yo, you doing? Yo, yo. What's up? Nice to, to have finally have you on board. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Baldwin. And I reached out to Baldwin to join the team really because he is a cinephile. Is that, what the, <laughs> is that the proper term for yeah. that? Yep, I think that's accurate. Cinephile. I love my movies. Yeah. Um, but Baldwin, if you want to go ahead and talk about why you wanted to join this podcast and why you love movies. So I love movies. I always, I always grew up um, watching movies all the time. Ever since I was young, it was sort of like a favorite pastime of mine. I think um, I love just getting lost in the, you know, like imagination um, of the films. And totally. Um, that sort of like, drove me to like learn more about movies i always look up like random trivia on imdb yeah i'm probably i'm kind of like the same as you sometimes when you're watching something you're like oh you know i've seen that actor somewhere before or you know who where was this shot how much does this movie make and stuff like that so that's kind of really why i wanted baldwin to be part of this show so i'm excited he definitely brings that technical aspect to it so i asked baldwin to say hey you know, first episode, what do you want to start with? And he said, Seven Samurai. <laughs> and I was like, Big sure. Time. You know, the, very well known. If uh, Again, if you're a movie lover and a fan, you've probably heard of Seven, Seven Samurai. I've heard of it, never got around to watching it, admittedly. So shame on me um, being an Asian American yeah, and movie lover. I know, so I know, that. I know. But when he suggested it to me, I was like, sure, I'll check it out. And I watched it. And um, it's a short, right? Uh, <laughs> I think it's the opposite of a short. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, by now, hopefully many of you have seen Seven Samurai. But just to kind of quickly go over, and we won't talk about the whole movie because that's a three hour on its own, but definitely go watch it. But the premise of it, I think it's something that a lot of, if you're an action film watcher, you've probably heard of this premise. And the basic premise of it is... It's this peasant farmer town in Japan, and they have to protect their town from bandits. I guess one of, someone, one of the villagers has an idea to hire the samurai to go ahead and protect the town. In the, in the beginning of the movie, some of the people are kind of like, this is a silly idea. What kind of samurai would you know, waste their time with protecting a peasant farmer village, right? But then yeah. a small group of them, a, a recruitment team, they go out. And this is how recruitment recruiters used to do they don't do they don't do linkedin stuff like that right <laughs> yeah yeah and so they, they go out and find the samurai and it really starts off with kembe who's like the de facto leader of the samurai i believe he's the first samurai that they find yeah right, that was willing to yeah yeah he was the first samurai that they really encountered um and it was actually an interesting way they sort of introduced him there was a moment where there's a thief and he steals like a baby oh right he, yeah he's sort of like yeah. hiding out in a house and he's holding the baby hostage and then the villagers, they ask Kambe, like, hey, you, can, you, can you help us? Right. And he's sort of like, he pretends he's a monk, so he cuts off his top knot, and he shaves yeah. his head, and then, like, he's pretending like he's giving rice to the thief, and he goes in, and then, th- it doesn't really show it on screen, but he right. just, like, chops, chop, chops a guy up, and he, yeah. like, the thief, like, comes out of the... Of, the the house and he's like he's like done for right and at, at first i think the villagers are kind of like what is this guy about this what the hell's going on mm-hmm. but then he like shows his most badass side of him being able to kill the thief and stuff like that and save the yeah. town but basically you know when i watched the movie and i was thinking like this movie was made in or came out in 1954 i believe mm-hmm. right 
immediately I was kind of wondering, kind of going into why was this movie so revered in the movie like community, made in 1954, and after watching it, you know, is this like the most OG guys guy film where just you know the perfect tough guy film that us guys, most guys like to watch? Yeah, you know that's an interesting、um, way of putting it. If you were to ask if this is the best guys guys film, I would say no, just because it's like so old and not not that many people have seen it.、Um, but since you asked if this is the OG most OG guys、mm-hmm. guys film, I, I think I definitely agree with that. You know,、um, when you think of guys guys film, it's always like Godfather, Scarface, right, right.、Um, The Matrix, you know, like Fight Club. Uh, Die Hard, John Wick, John Wick, yeah,、oh, exactly. Man, more, more modern. Yeah, this movie came before all of them, and I can't really remember a movie that before this that was like a, a guys guys movie. I think at the time too,、um, Akira Kurosawa was the director of the movie. At the time, you know, Japanese cinema was more on the theatrical side of things, a little bit more on the artsier side of、mm-hmm. it. So Akira. Or Mr. Kurosawa. I mean, I don't know how <laughs> you know respectful. <laughs> yeah, first name.、Basis. You know, a first name basis. Me and him.、Um, but I think when he was trying to come up and think making this movie, he was like, I want to make it more real, like more grounded, and really explore the day to day life of like a samurai and what it's like in you know during this time in Japan. When he first thought of the movie, like the concept of the movie, he wanted to make a samurai movie, and I think it was he wanted to make like a day in the life of a samurai movie, and so he started writing that script. But、um, for some reason, it didn't really work out. I forget why, but he ended up、um, coming with the like he wanted to show the realistic side of samurai. Talk about some of the cinematography tidbits that you noticed when you were watching the film. Yeah, definitely. In terms of the cinematography, I think Akira Kurosawa was very revolutionary in his methods. Like one of the things that he's well no- most well known for is his ability to capture、um, movement, composing movement. When you think of movies back then, a lot of the action scenes were very like shot by shot. It's like very segmented, cut like quick cut kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not really getting the full picture kind of thing. Yeah, so like usually you would have like. One one part of the the action sequence, and then you'd cut it, and then you shoot the next、um, next part in、um, like a different angle. Right. What Kurosawa did was he wanted to capture the whole thing at once, and he didn't、mm. want it to be interrupted because that would make it feel like the flow was off. So、right. he he would compose these scenes, and、um, he would put like three cameras on it at the time, like, and they were at d- different、uh, focal lengths. So some of them were wide, some of some、mm. of it was zoomed up. And then he would say action. the The whole scene would go from the beginning to the end without any cuts. And the way he edited it was, he would he would、um, capture the wide angle and then get close ups. And then like the more like really pivotal parts of it. Yeah,、right? exactly. Action sequences. Like、um, if you if you watch the the last battle scene, there's a lot going on. There's like groups of people. Epic. Yeah, surrounding the the bandits. And you know they're on horses. They got swords. There's archers. So he would like zoom in on different things. Like he would zoom in on the、uh, feet of the horses, and then the,、mm-hmm. the the sword swipes. And it's all sort of just to show like how chaotic the scene was at that time. It was very revolutionary because not not a lot of directors、uh, filmed that way. And like something that I kept thinking about, this requires a lot of choreography and a lot of. Planning and and coordinating with everyone. Everyone's got to make the right move, make their mark. Right, timing has to be on point. Before this, most movies, action movies, and like spaghetti westerns or B westerns and stuff like that, quick cut. I mean, at most one or two movements, which is easy for an actor, right? If you just need to throw a punch and the other person just needs to fake like. Uh, like, yeah, just boom, like, <laughs> you know. But Akira wanted like a more long sequence. He was like, "No, this is gonna happen. This this lead into this next action. We're gonna move into this and stuff like that." And really, it takes the actors to be committed and dedicated to that vision. And I think that was something that I kept in mind. Again, I always put in the context: this is 1954,、mm-hmm. right? And so unheard of, groundbreaking, innovative in filmmaking. And I think it also influenced a lot of. Western movies thereafter, and then kind of decades going forward, right? Yeah, Akira Kurosawa, like he really wanted to flesh out his characters a lot.、Um, a lot of times, when you think of characters, they're very sort of like one-dimensional, like they don't have a lot of depth to them.、Mm-hmm. And 
Akira Kurosawa, I think he, for one, he wanted to show like Japanese more realistically because at that time,、um, you know, it was after World War II. It was 19,、yeah. so it was 1954. Post World War II, they had just lost. Yeah. And also, yeah. like,、um, I believe the American occupation of Japan ended in 1992. Wow. So it was actually like a lot of mixed feelings. Um, from the Japanese at the time about their,、um, the state of their country and you know, even the state of their identity. I think like, they felt very vulnerable. So I think、um, Kurosawa he wanted to show the Japanese having,、um, they're not just like evil people. you know? Right. They have、there's, more depth to them. There's complexity to it. They're another、yeah. group of people, right? I think that is obvious to say. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you for know? sure. But again, This is a lot of probably during a time where Americans were very you know, racist against a lot of、mm-hmm. Japanese people, being that they were the enemy, you know, not that far removed when World War II, the Second World War ended. The, there's a lot of stereotypes about the Japanese at the time. I think, especially with the samurai, you don't, you know, you don't really know much about samurai during that time.、Mm-hmm. I think the general sentiment was that the samurai was just. You know, bound by loyalty. And there's sort of、right. like the idea of like the kamikaze,、mm-hmm. where they would just like sacrifice their life for, for honor or for their loyalty. What's the, there's a different term, seppuku, right? When, Se- yeah, when yeah. They, they take the short sword、uh, yeah. of the two and they sacrifice themselves if they violated like a code or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if they, if they sort of like dishonor or dis- disgrace themselves,、um, a lot of times it, it would happen when their master or, or their lord, you know, They, they fail to save their master or the Lord. So they feel very、um, disgraced and dishonored. So it's just a crazy way to live. I、but、know. Honorable, but. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that's just the times back then. And, and it's、right. also like it's part of the sort of the societal roles of that time as well. I think that's like a big part of Kurosawa's、um, message in the film. Like these societal roles, like people have to live in these roles. And even though like what they're doing is not really. Like, right?、Mm-hmm. It's not like considered、um, the smart thing to do. Right. These customs and traditions are entrenched in their history and part of their culture. Yeah, it's part of their culture. And they have to like do these things because if they don't, then they're sort of like breaking off from、um, social tr- tr- traditions, basically.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. We mentioned that this movie had a lot of influence for films moving forward. The direct influence almost. Copycat, if you will.、Uh, the westernized version is The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Between those two movies,、um, even though Seven Samurai originated it, but it really created the genesis of the archetypes. And the, the main pivotal characters in a movie where it's this group of mercenaries or specialized you know, characters and coming together for one common cause. So, it also not just the archetype role, but then also created、um, like the Avengers kind of thing. If you think about it, I mean, the Avengers pulls from that. It's all these different individual independent roles coming together for like this one common cause. And for some reason, we like gravitate towards that, right? You know, in terms of the genesis of archetypes, this may not be like the genesis of all archetypes, but、right. I think this is the first real movie that put all of these archetypes together into like one film and does it successfully because. There's like so many noticeable like,、um, characters. Like, you got the, the old elder of the village,、mm-hmm. the wise, venerable leader of the samurai.、Mm-hmm, right.、Um, you got the young, inexperienced,、um, like the, the, the newbie, the rook. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the rookie, the wannabe hero. <laughs> right, right. There's,、um, always that. There's always that guy. And then you have like the jester, the clown,、um, the sort of like the outcast. He's the one that、mm-hmm. kind of adds humor to the story, but he also sort of challenges the, the status yeah, quo, right? Yeah. And he poses like a lot of interesting questions in the story. And then you have the, the villain, of course, the, the, the bandits.、Mm-hmm. So I think this, like, different movies have, have like, Done singular archetypes、mm-hmm. into their stories, but this is the first one that really puts them all together and successful, successfully like, introduces them into the story and really like, fleshes out their characters. I think what's also impressive when Akira was writing this, and I know there's a story where they basically, him and his partner, his screenwriter who was creating the characters, is that they just sat in a room and just Freaking just wrote, pumped it out, pumped it out creatively. And、um, one of the impressive things is that they passed, they would write 
like a character and they would pass it to each other and they would you know add on to it or edit it and that was just like their creative process mm -hmm. but again what's really imp impressive is like is the mix of characters right again so i mean i could come up with seven personality types but to be able to have the dynamics play off of each other because mm -hmm. then you have right you have the leader and then like the second in command and then you have um the the master swordsman um i forget it's Kyo Kyozo. Kyozo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's my guy he's right there g OG. he's the silent killer um which everyone respects and he just kind of does his own thing but you're right and then we have like the wild card um which is kiko kiko chio yeah kiko chio um i didn't like him at first i'm gonna be honest <laughs> really i i can get that though i think that's sort of the point of like right right into the movie. i was like who the fuck is this guy he's trying to be some and then he ends up joining them and i was like mm -hmm. what the hell but then right it's, it's not until the end and when all shit when the shit goes down you go oh okay he's actually kind of like the glue that holds everything together is yeah. that fair to say yeah kyozo is your guy like kiko chio he's my guy dude like he's how, so why do you why, why is he your dude like what's what what about him that resonates with oh, you? oh man he's like he's so complex as a character and it's, it's really a testament to um kurosawa's uh storytelling and it's like character development yeah interesting side note actually so when they first came out with the came out with all the characters there were only like six samurai right these are with six yeah yeah and then um you know they're all based on like actual historical figures which is mm. also interesting but after a while i think um the writers are like this is kind of kind of bland like you need something interesting to throw into the mix right and then they right. came up with um kikuchio which is like total outcast he's totally different from er he's everybody all over else. the place yeah he's like he's very brash he's yeah. arrogant confident and also like we don't really know much about him when he's introduced that's true he's he's he carries a sword but they never explicitly say he's a samurai yeah he carries one sword too, yeah. which most samurai carry two. And he carries it like on on his shoulder, which yeah. is like very different. Yeah. But yeah, so like we don't really know where he comes from. Like, is he a samurai? Is he a nomad? Mm. Is he like did he run away from his family? He he also like kind of spurns the samurai whenever whenever he talks to them. He's like super. He he shows like um a lot of animosity towards them. Yeah. So there's a lot of like intrigue there. But what's funny is that the rest of them would just laugh at him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're always just like uh this guy's just there yeah yeah he's like the black sheep he's like the clown that they just clown on him but he again you know he ends up being one of his, uh, the essential uh, piece in the defense of the town um i think one moment that really broke through for me for his character that i thought was interesting was when uh i guess one of the farmers is dad was burning uh dad was in a burning building and they were running towards him and asking for help that was that was kikuchio right yeah is it are you talking about like towards the end yeah towards the end yeah 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 um and then he like tries his best to like help out and stuff like that and then he he, he does look out for the farmers even mm -hmm. though he like yells at them all the time yeah yeah um to like harp on that you know there's this one scene i want to call out this sort of so, sort of shows like the the depth of his character and that's when he finds their um like the the farmers have like some sort of armor some sort of weapon and he goes and realizes like like these farmers actually have samurai weapons and samurai oh, yeah, armor they have a stock and stuff. yeah and like he so he brings that to the the other samurai and he's like yo look what we got we got like real weapons here and then so the samurai are are like yo where did you get this from and mm. they realize like it, the farmers took it off the the bodies of fallen samurai they kind of feel like very disappointed and used yeah used and like like what the hell like where where did you get this armor from you killed actual samurai like that's our people yeah and then like one of the one of the samurai even said like uh, i, I kind of want to kill them all now which right is, like right, crazy right. wait does the movie ever say though that they killed the samurai or like samurai just happened to be dead and they just picked off yeah them? yeah they never really specified that i think um they sort of just took the armor off fallen samurai really mm. to continue like after the, the one of the samurai says like i kind of want to kill them all now and then that sort of like sets kikuchio off at first he he's he's sort of like um talks down about the peasants and, yeah. and the farmers he's like you know what did you expect like for them to be buddhas or something hmm. they pretend like they are they have nothing but they, right but if you look like under their floorboards like they they probably have sake they probably have food they have all the samurai like they they're actually like really disgraceful yeah um so he's like talking down about them but then he turns around on the samurai and he says like but what made what made these farmers this way 
And then he sort of like puts it back on the samurai. Like the samurai, you know, burn their farms. They take their food. They, they rape their women.、Um, mm. they, they even kill the villagers、um, at, at certain points. So, like, it's actually the, the samurai that, that are causing the, the farmers to act this way.、Mm. Um, and then at the end of that speech, Kambe is like, he realized, like, Kikuchio, you were, a, you were born a farmer, right?、Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sort of like explains a lot about his character. Right.、Um, the, his resentment a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. His resentment towards the farmers. Like, there's so many instances throughout the film, like, where he shows animosity towards the farmers, like, for being weak, for being crybabies. Right.、Um, And like you start to see like why he's acting that way because he identifies with them and he, he sees himself in them. And、um, right. when he does that, it sort of exemplifies、uh, his self hatred、yeah. for、yeah. his heritage, for his identity. So the movie we mentioned is three hours long. I think any movie that is over 90 minutes, which is what average movies are, it, it risks dragging on. So, what in your opinion? How did this movie not drag on? I think it's, it has to do with the brilliance of Kurosawa and his storytelling, really. Throughout the movie, like, there's really like, no wasted scenes. It's always part of the plot development or part of developing the characters. Like,、yeah. And you know, one scene always naturally flows into another one. It's, it's almost like kinetic in a way. And it immerses the audience into what's happening in the story. So I think. The reason he does this is he wants us to be emotionally invested into the story and like wondering what's going to happen next. I think one of the hallmarks of like every great film is like you care about what's going to happen next. You, you are sort of like anticipating what's going to happen to these guys and what's,、mm-hmm. what's going to end up happening. One more thing we're going to talk about before we go into break. You wrote down the historical context and we touched upon this briefly in terms of the progression that this movie helped with. Asians,、mm-hmm. but also, I guess, not Asian American in the modern sense, the contemporary sense of what we think about, but definitely the relationship between Asians and, and Americans and how this movie kind of helped progress that. Again, post World War II, when we were enemies and we just bombed the shit out of Japan, too. <laughs> Let's not forget about that, you know? Right, right. So they had every reason to be like, fuck those guys.、Mm-hmm. But again, this movie kind of. Uh, from an artistic perspective, kind of help progress that. Yeah, for sure. I think the sort of American sentiments towards Asians at the time, they were kind of, they're very negative. And especially like in terms of、um, American depictions of Asians in films, it's like not the greatest. It's so stereotypical <laughs> and、yeah. typecast. Like they're, they're seen as like exotic or、yeah. Oriental or like、yeah. Asians and outsiders in general. Super foreign, aliens. Yeah, exactly. And like the roles at the time were sort of like subhuman, like just like background characters,、um, you know, the dragon ladies or、yeah. like the waiters and waitresses or the drug characters. So I definitely think that Kurosawa was trying to depict Japanese culture more realistically. And, you know, this movie came out in 1954. It was one of the first、uh, Japanese movies that was very popular in America. So, it had this very big role in, in introducing Japanese culture to, to a Western audience.、So. Right, right. Yeah, it was very important. Right. And also, you know, not to overlook that it also influenced American filmmakers as well. Like John Ford were very influenced. And then it also, for future, in future years, influenced like、uh, George Lucas and Mark yeah. Scorsese yeah, and, yeah. And, and all these big prominent filmmakers.、Um, it's also like pretty cool to think that, you know, this movie is one of the best. Considered one of the greatest movies of all time, if not, you know, the action, greatest action movie of all, of all time. It's also cool like, to, to know that this is like an Asian movie.、Um, let's go ahead and take a break here and we'll come back and talk more about Seven Samurai. Hey, Alan. Yeah. Did you know that listeners can support directly to this show? How? Well, they can do so by going to realasianpodcast.com slash support. How easy is that? Wow, that's super easy. That's, that's all I have to do? That's all you have to do. You can do so by on your phone. You can also use, do it on your computer, of course. You can also do it、um, on AOL. Is that still a thing? I certainly hope so because I still have my username. Again, that is realasianpodcast.com slash support. 
All right, and we are back. So I wanted to touch upon what you said earlier in terms of you know this being one of the greatest movies ever made. Vulture did this list. It was best movies that were over three hours long. Mm-hmm. Plenty of movies are on there. Godfather's on there. Um, Gone with the Wind, Avengers Endgame. So it's definitely updated. But Seven Samurai left off the list. What's really? up with that? What's up with that? Wow. What is up with that, Vulture? Come on. That's racist, man. <laughs> <laughs> How could they leave Seven Samurai out, dude? That's like the epic of all epics. That just shows you that there's still some, you know, disrespect a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if it's like only American films, but I mean, if you're going to claim best movies that are three hours long, you yeah. got to include movies all around the world. Yeah, especially if it was like aired in America. Um, that's that's interesting. When was that article published? In 2016, but they did put Endgame on there, which came out in 2019. What? So they probably just like watched Endgame. Like, oh, let's update let's the stick list. it up there. Yeah. yeah, let's update the list. But man, the disrespect. Yeah, it's, and especially because like a lot of those movies, um, at least the modern ones, were um, in part like inspired by the narrative elements in Sam- Seven Samurai. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's messed up. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you're true movie fan stuff like that even if you liked magnificent seven right mm-hmm. um you kind of wonder then you start digging back and pulling on the thread and you start thinking like what really came up who came up with this idea and i think you inevitably would stumble upon this movie right because then people will start talking about it like oh you gotta go watch seven samurai yeah i think like this is really the origin of all of those um a lot of the like we talked about earlier the ar- archetypal um, characters, the elements, like the the plot development, for example, the idea of like teaming up together. Would you count um, Ocean's Eleven? I mean, yeah, kind yeah, of, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, they don't kill anyone. But <laughs> wait, do they kill anyone in that movie? No, <laughs> no, it's not that dark. Um, but yeah, actually, like the gathering of all these different uh, characters and sort of them uniting on a team t- for a common purpose, a common goal. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that definitely came out of Seven Samurai. All right. So let's dig in deep. Baldwin deep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Baldwin's Baldwin last deep. name is deep. So your deep take. My, my deep take. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about the theme of the movies in terms of what it was really about. For me, definitely I picked up on some of the philosophical meanings behind it and kind of like the significance and ideas that, the movie explored and wanted us to think about. But what was a theme that stuck out to you? Um, For me, I think the biggest one is definitely the classism that Mm -hmm. exists. Um, And I think like a lot of people have talked about this before too, but to understand that that aspect, you have to also understand the historical perspective of the the movie. Um, During this time, it was 16th century Japan. So this was like right after all the, the warring states Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like decimated the the country, right? And Japan was like in a very chaotic condition because of the these constant wars that were going on. Um, and because of this, many samurai lost their masters, lost their lords. Um, they became ronin and were like left wandering around. Such a badass term, by the way. Yeah, ronin. ronin. Yeah, but yeah, they were left like wandering around, looking what to do and how they could survive. And you know, at the same time, the the peasants and the farmers. They're of the lowest class, mm-hmm. um, and that's also because of the war. It's sort of like ravages the land, right. and the, the lords just like take what they need from the farmers. Um, the currency of the time was rice, so you know if you have the power, you could just take all the rice you need and sort of like leave the farmers with nothing. Right. If you take away their food, and then their livelihood, and they could starve to death. Or yeah. would stop to death. You you put these two um, like groups together. Mm-hmm. The samurai are sort of like at the top of the or. S- not really at the top of the class. Somewhat higher than the peasants, we can Yeah, definitely. Assume. I think there's like, you get the the feudal lords and then the samurai mm. right under them. And then like the ronin are sort of like under that uh, because they're sort of like, kind of like disgraced a little bit. Right, because they're masterless. Yeah, they're masterless, exactly. And you sort of see throughout the movie that these two classes aren't supposed to mix. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many instances where um, you see that the samurai are sort of like looking down on the peasants like, and vice versa, the peasants don't want to mix with the samurai. Like one, for example, is um, one of the villagers, I think his name was Manyo or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a daughter 
and he oh, was yeah. Monzo. Monzo, yeah, yeah, yeah Monzo, yeah. my boy Monzo. Um, he had a daughter, and she was like, you know, around the age where, um, you know, samurai were interested. <laughs> Let's just Let's say, say prime age, or no, that they're that's a little or, weird. Uh, Prime for the samurai to be picking. <laughs> okay, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, she was, um, you know, she was like a very beautiful girl, and yeah. Manzo was very scared that uh, the samurai would take interest in, interest in right, her. So right. he ordered her to like cut her hair and just like yeah. a boy, and that just sort of shows like these two classes aren't supposed to mix. You know what's funny? She actually ends up with the samurai. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also like a big part of. Yeah. Um, the philosophical theme too, like yeah. the idea of rebelling against social t- traditions. You mm, know, mm-hmm. it happens throughout the whole movie. Like samurai aren't supposed to um, help out these farmers. They they're considered like that, like a, a low class job, right? Yeah, they're they're proud. You yeah. know, they're arrogant. Like a right job for them would be to find a job that gets them money or mm-hmm. increases their rank. But why do these samurai take on this lowly job just for like? the food really right 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 but, but also like it's because um it's sort of they feel like a sense of responsibility there's a certain code and honor to yeah, it yeah moral code to, yeah moral code i mean it's also kind of i also think like what else are they doing yeah <laughs> they, they, they sort of like need a job to do so. right and they're like yeah we're bored we laugh ah, i get let's just do it <laughs> right you kind of like get that sense too at, yeah. at the beginning of the movie when when they join uh the group but um yeah, it's it's like they are doing a job that they're not um, supposed to be doing because of their social roles, right. and that's what like sort of makes them heroic in a sense. Yeah, and I do think that that's um, one of the points that Kurosawa was trying to make, sticking up for the little guy in a way. Yeah, and also like how these social traditions are creating mm-hmm. very unfair, oppressive uh, landscapes for for different types of people. But you don't have to like just stay in your lane. You can. You can rise up out of it and uh, do something that is like better for the moral good and right. do something heroic. Um, so there's two points in the movie that you know I tie together in terms of how it kind of clashes with each other or maybe consequential with each other. So this is after Kembe, the leader of the Seven Samurai, is convinced. It's like, okay, I'm 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 for this mission. Now it's about assembling a team. Um, Samurai assemble. <laughs> so, I don't. I think that's in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think that's a. Might I might have imagined it after you know two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, he he first meets Gorobe, which I think is a second samurai that he convinces to join. Mm-hmm. And I re- recall that Gorobe was basically saying like, you know what, your cause is what convinced me. Right. He he mm-hmm. mentions this like it's somewhat honorable and uh valorant to to for for what you're trying to do right but at the end of the movie the iconic scene is while the villagers are celebrating their victory or their defense against the bandit kembei turns around and looks at the hill sees that four of them four fallen samurai Mm -hmm. with the sword in their burial ground right and basically to me it's saying like Yes, you can live by a code, but your code has consequences mm-hmm. and they have to wrestle with that because in the end, Kembe says, okay, they won, but we lost. So no matter what, they are stuck in this forever gray zone to be like, what is truly right? Because you, they think they're doing the right thing, but they have regrets to it. So is it the right thing? Like, that's the thing that I was asking. Like, is that the right choice that they made because they lost a life? So where's the true reward that they get? Also, the question is, um, in this situation where you have bandits, they're going to come, they're going to like mm-hmm. try to take over this village. What would the right thing be? Like, there is right. no right thing to do. Like, you Right. There's like, a sacrifice no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, that's another point that movies trying to make, like, this is a war. And in the, the re- reality of war, everything's messy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you may do things for a noble cause, but um, at the same time, there's going to be atrocities committed on both sides. Right. And you're going to have to live with that. It also shows the, the shifting um, identity of the samurai. Like, again, it's, it's after the warring, the warring period in Japan, and um, the samurai is sort of like fading away. And I think they're coming to grips with that. Four samurai have fallen, and they say the villagers won, but we lost. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like very poignant in, in, um, in showing that the samurai are always going to be losing, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, like no matter what choice they make. Because if they didn't succeed, they would have 
maybe felt some responsibility of the bandits taking over the the village and they're like oh you know what we could have been there for them and you know we we failed to do the right thing so they go okay well we will defend on it but then the camaraderie that they built the brotherhood i guess mm -hmm. the, the, between the samurai of them dying they start to question it was this worth it kind of thing and also couple that with them finding out that they had a stockpile of like samurai past samurai yeah. shit. Again, you know, it's a very complex situation. Um, and the fact that these the samurai, they still are willing to do this job, even though they find out that the peasants, you know, they're not really great people. Like right, they're right. weak, they're liars, they're cheaters. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. They detest the samurai a little bit. They mm -hmm. resent it. You know, yeah. they ask for the help, but they're also scared of them in a way. I think that's what Kurosawa was trying to say. Like that's the reality of war, and instead of like glorifying the uh, the violence, it's not just black or white. Yeah, you know? exactly. Usually, like the fighting is the the entertaining entertaining part of the film, but in this film, it is entertaining, but it's also like extremely messy. It's not like very artistic. It's not beautiful. It's chaotic. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's sort of like an endless cycle. Like the samurai die, the bandits die, uh, the village is still there, but then. Who knows? Like, what is, is it going to happen again? Like another right. another team of bandits. That's is true. It come? Because you know, there's three left, and what's to stop another group of bandits? Right. I want to bring up this one scene at the end. You mentioned part of it. It's when um, it's during the middle of the battle, and uh, one of the one of the the uh, houses burns down, and there's a woman. She's carrying a baby, mm -hmm. and yeah. then um, like she turns around. We realize like. There's a, there's a sword in her. And so she hands the baby to Kikuchio. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, Kikuchio just, like, breaks down. Oh, yeah. And then he's yeah. like, and we're wondering, like, why is he breaking down? And then he, we, re we realize what he says. He says, this baby is me. Right. And, that's, like, this is what happened to him. That's what happened to him. Yeah. So, like, again, like, it's an endless cycle. Like, he was a peasant. He was a farmer. But bandits came. And um, we don't know if it's bandits. Maybe it was samurai. But... They they basically took his his parents away from him, and that sort of like put him in this weird position where he's an orphan. Yeah, he doesn't know where to go. Um, and I think his um, him like fighting for these farmers for these peasants is his way of sort of dealing with his past and dealing with his um, the death of his parents. So let me ask you, what would you do if you were a samurai? If they came up to you, would you accept? Or would you be like, fuck off? <laughs> if it's the villagers? Yeah. I mean, shoot, dude. I mean, I'd like to say that I would accept the job, of course. I'm, right. like, I'm like the man, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but knowing that you may die. Yeah. I mean, who knows, honestly? Like, what, what would you do? This is a very political question, <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It sort of like mirrors our it does time mirror, today. It mirrors our politics in a way. Yeah, because right? like... People like we have to stand. We have the ability to stand up for what we think is right, like the moral good. We have that choice, um, and I think that people are very much urged to do that. But sometimes, like you got to wonder, like, is it? Can can I really take that step? There's this idea of sacrificing for the greater good. Then it becomes, what if you are the one who needs to sacrifice, mm -hmm. right? Again, so when you put into the perspective of the greater good, which is you defending the bandits and you've, but you essentially lost. And then you see that the bandits are celebrating as if they didn't have any stake in the game. Mm -hmm. Again, they kind of like didn't fight that much. Yeah. They didn't really have, they didn't really lose anything. They definitely benefited, yeah. you know, a lot more. And then you being the one who sacrificed your time and effort to it, um, you start to think like, damn, was it really worth it? So it is a really, deeply political question but okay for me i i would do it um that's not to be politically correct but i think a part of me would be like yes i think there's the right thing to do um again i would be kyozo the mm -hmm. silent killer the zen-like master the zen -like master and i was hoping he wouldn't die but damn it i know i'm like no yeah it makes it that much more meaningful right the guy you don't want to die dies. And also like Kikuchio too. Like he died. He's the last one to die. Oh yeah. And he, yeah. he dies by killing the the final uh bandit. So right, it sort of right. like very much completes his um his uh character arc. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you're like, oh wow, he actually did a lot. So you feel a little bit sad that he died. <laughs> I felt yeah. I felt a lot sad, man. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you cried a little bit. Yeah, that's Kikuchio, man. That's my guy. 
So I want to talk about a little interesting story about, um, well, let's just talk about Akira Kurosawa in general, him as a director and his creative process. So he is nicknamed the emperor, Mm -hmm. known for his very, I guess, emperor-like control in making movies. He has such an influence on American filmmakers as well. One of them being John Ford, which was a very popular... I think they influenced each other in that article that I shared with you. Basically, John Ford was known for making more complex Western movies with you know deeper storylines, not the typical spaghetti Western mm-hmm. during this time. So they definitely were you know um, stroking each other's geniuses, if you will. So there's a story there that I believe Akira was in a hotel in London, kind of have, having a drink and chilling. John Ford walks up next, um, comes up to him and recognizes him, and you know gives props. And they talk about how they want to collaborate on a project together. And one of the projects that they were wanting to collaborate, or I guess supposed to collaborate, was Tora, Tora, Tora. It did come out, and it's still called Tora, Tora, Tora. But what happened was when 20th Century Fox got around to agreeing to make a movie, John Ford retired at this point, and Akira was still tied to the project. I guess with Akira's creative control style didn't mesh well with 20th Century Fox. Again, Mm. we throw in, you know, I'm sure there's some racism to it as well, (laughs) right? Yeah, racist undertones. For sure. Possibly. I think this is like 1960s where 20th Century Fox was like, what is this Asian guy doing? Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's stories of Akira just running through a whole laundry list of problems. And he was under a lot of stress. He was burning through a lot of their money and going way over budget. Mm -hmm. He does that. He does that. (laughs) I guess, yeah, I guess he's known for that. There was also, there's a story where he got so mad uh, of the use of a clapper. For a second, I was kind of like, what the heck is a clapper? But it's that guy, it's that guy who does the action Action, click. And I guess he didn't like that. So he took a roll of paper and raged over that guy and smacked him over the head and started smacking the assistant director started smacking a bunch of people on set so a lot of people were like jesus christ and i guess there were some people that replaced the assistant directors and other production people he didn't like them and so he fired them so he was just in fox's eyes he was difficult to work with you know Mm -hmm. this it was reported that he sent fox a demand where he wanted bulletproof glass on his in his car he wanted armed guards uh, when he went to toilet break, so there's a little bit of paranoia to it. <laughs> eventually, you know, of course, this wouldn't stand up or last very long. So eventually, they fired him and assigned another director. Um, I guess two directors. So there was like three co-directors for Tora, Tora, Tora. When I read that and hearing about him being nicknamed the Emperor, I guess to me, it's like when you're such a great director and a creative but you're you're so hard to work with you know is that something that you can excuse and you can respect or do you feel like some level of be like you know what he was his own enemy because if he was maybe i, I think about it like this maybe he was a lot easier to work with i'm not saying that he should submit to america again some racist undertone mm-hmm. He, but he had an opportunity to be more of a bigger American influence. And I don't think he was willing to compromise that. Yeah, I think, you know, when you are considered like a great, great at anything, really, you have such a, a vision for yourself and it's you have so much attention to detail and you're very demanding because it's your vision. You know how, how you want it to be. You know how you want it to end up. And so like that causes him to... Um, you know, he's flawed. He's it's not perfect. He's a great artist, but I think a lot Many of Many pe- artists are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A lot of people who are great artists or great at anything, they they sort of neglect the human aspect um of their work and like how how they treat other people. Um because it's he needs he needs to do that in order to get to um accomplish his vision, you know. Yeah, I can respect that. I mean, who's to say the true reach of his influence. Again, we mentioned that he influenced the likes of George Lucas and Martin Scorsese, other filmmakers as well. Those are just the top two that come up to mind. Who's to say that if he made Tora, Tora, Tora and released in America with 20th Century Fox behind it, he might have had a bigger influence or impact on American cinema immediately. Eventually he did. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, eventually, kind of like Bruce Lee, right? At the time... 
Bruce Lee was ahead of his time. He didn't, you know, his work and his philosophy, his impact wasn't wasn't really felt until years later mm-hmm. when people were like, oh, you know what? This guy actually did it, you know, really well. And maybe Akira is kind of up there. From what I've read, like, he definitely, he influenced so many directors and so many films. And yeah, I don't think they really gave him credit while he was making those movies. Um, it's all really in hindsight. There's no real right answer to whether he his his um, style was right or wrong. It just is. Um, you kind of like have to accept it. You have it's it's two sided. You you could say like his films are great, but you can also say like he wasn't such a great person to work with, and that's right. that's just how it is sometimes. Yeah, we just so he's so dedicated to his craft and mm-hmm. his vision. Yeah, I, there's an actually interesting story about the making of um, Seven Samurai. So his um, the shoot time went way long like i think it was supposed to shoot over the summer and it lasted like over a year instead and he just like kept burning um through the budget um, right i think it was like he went three times over the budget Jesus. and this caused um the studio um toho toho was the studio at the time yeah they were like they kept having to stop the production of the movie and decide whether um to keep him keep, keep, <laughs> yeah. yeah keep it and keep going and then um it's so funny, Kurosawa, like, he knew that they weren't going to stop the making of this movie because they already put so much into it. Oh, yeah. So he would, he would, he put like, him in a tough position. Yeah. So, like, whenever they would stop the production, he would just, like, go fishing. <laughs> and he would, like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to bring me back. Yeah. Cause he knows it's like, okay, if they stop now, they've wasted a lot so of So much money. money yeah. It's like uh, all for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of gangster if you think about it. <laughs> it's you a know? power move. It is a power move. So yeah, the the overall influence of Kurosawa, I think, is, you know, you can't say enough about him. Uh, He pretty much spawned a new genre of action movies, and the way he's helped stage and frame the pieces of action sequences, and how he filmed them was so revolutionary at the time. Uh, I could list off a few things that um, the movie was known for. So it was nominated for two Academy Awards, Mm -hmm. but both of them lost. Um, I think it's just because it was a Japanese film, to be honest. Like racism. Yeah, I, I don't know what the the films that won. I don't remember what their what the names were. They probably right. weren't, weren't even that good. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, so Entertainment Weekly voted it the seventeenth greatest movie of all time. Um, it was the most expensive Japanese film made at that time, um, and then it's, it has a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes ranking, which is. Pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like given how old the movie is, um, you don't really see that too often. Here's another fun fact that I read too, is that the scene where uh, Kukuchiyo is swimming for the fish or jumping the fish and they're watching him do his thing. Apparently he had a, he had to hide the fish shooting that he had to hide the fish in his pants because that's (laughs) all he was wearing or not. He wasn't wearing pants. He was wearing like a loincloth pretty much. And so he had to hide it. And I guess they shot that a couple times. Um, I forget the fish that they were using, but he couldn't squeeze too hard. Otherwise, it would slip out. <laughs> but obviously, you had to hold some kind of grip. Yeah. And they had he had trouble in terms of like trying to catch or keep the, keep the fish in his hands. So, he had to like sneak mm-hmm. it in, jump in the water, and then take it out. And then, yeah. you know, he shows it in the air. I think they changed fish too. Yes, they at changed some point. fish. Like it went from... Um, a carp or something to a to a trout because it was like yeah, easier. Yeah, again, that's just the dedication. Yeah, and of the movie. Yeah, I think it it's it's cool because like what what was the purpose of that scene? It's I feel like it's just to develop his character. Like he's like all the samurai were like cray. yeah they were just like watching him like what the hell is this motherfucker doing? Right. <laughs> he's just like he goes into the water or the stream and he just like pulls out a fish like literally out of his ass. <laughs> it shows it so he's like a wily like crazed character the actor let me try to find the actor's yeah, it's name toshiro mifune yeah. he's like a really really well-renowned japanese actor he's like in um 16 of uh kurosawa's movies so yeah he's a yeah. big deal he really committed to the character yeah Let's wrap it up and say, you know, we talked about some of the influence that this really, this OG film set upon. Um, What were some of the films that Seven Samurai directly influenced? 
Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. Like, obviously, the most、um, well known one is、uh, the Magnificent Seven, which came out like six years right after. And it's、yeah. almost a direct copy, except it's like a, a Western, Western yeah, yeah, with cowboys. But also,、um, it also influenced A Bug's Life, if you can believe it. Like, you think of the、What? plot of A Bug's Life. These、uh-huh. ants are being oppressed by these cockroaches,、uh-huh. and they they hire a team of like misfit characters、oh, yeah. to come save them. It's like it's a direct like callback. Yeah, callback to、um, to Seven Samurai.、Um, but even like certain elements of Seven Samurai were replicated again. Like the huge battle scenes, for example, is it was used in、um, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix Revolutions.、Um, you know, George Lucas was a huge fan of Kurosawa. I think he said his greatest. Um, his favorite film was Seven Samurai,、wow. and you sort of see it in the the characters he created. You know the, those character archetypes, like Luke Skywalker, the inexperienced hero, right?、Um, Harrison Ob- Ford, yeah, the badass, the badass, the sort of like renegade, yeah.、Um, and then、um, Obi Wan Kenobi, the wise old venerable leader, yeah. And yeah. then you got Princess Leia, the sort of like damsel in distress, yeah. So yeah, it, it de- definitely influenced a lot of different movies,、um, even like. Um, I'll talk about some of the action sequences, like、yeah. the close-ups and the sort of like very fluid, the fluid way he composes them, like Mad Max Fury Road. Like you think、yeah. about all the different cuts and the, the editing and like the close-ups of the faces and of the of the of the vehicles, the cars, and even like Quentin Tarantino films. Right. Like、um, if you've seen Kill Bill, he would he would like swipe the sword sword and.、Um, Cut off somebody's head and just like the blood just flows out. Right, right. Yeah, that's like sort of a direct callback to Kurosawa style.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. All right, well, that'll be it for this episode. Baldwin, what did you think on your first episode, your first experience? Do you think you hit it out the park? Um, I don't know if I hit it out the park, but I mean, I had a good time for yeah, sure. That was good. Yeah, it's all it is. All I definitely、fun. enjoyed just like talking about the movie. Definitely.、Um, yeah, just hope. Hopefully, like it opens some people's eyes and like they're more、um, open to seeing it. Baldwin's a photographer as well, so、yep. there's this growing trend of <laughs> photographers in real Asian podcasts. I, yeah, it's who you attract, man. You attract yeah, I, a lot I, of photographers. I, I just have that magnet. Yeah.、Um, in an audio form, I don't know why. <laughs> It <laughs> But, is a, Artistic ex- expression, some yeah. But if you want to go ahead and plug your your photography business, yeah, yeah. So I have my own photography business. I started not too long ago. It's called Sweet Life Studios. You can find it on Facebook, Instagram, or or、uh, go on my website, sweetlifestudios.co. Nice. It's really nice pictures. Again, thanks for、uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow us and subscribe at Real Asian Podcast, and check out our website, realasianpodcast dot com.